Greetings, I'm Askia Muhammad in Washington, D.C. with Mustafa Ali. And Ernesto Arce is in Los Angeles, California with us. We have some headlines as we move into the final hour of Pacifica Radio's coverage, Let America Be America Again, Reimagining the American Dream. In the District of Columbia, both Alyssa Silverman and Anita Bonds have been re-elected to the D.C. Council. Democrat Sharice Davids, unseated Republican Representative Keith Yoder in Kansas City, in the 3rd District, she will be the nation's first LGBT Native American woman in Congress. Two Native women now, we are reporting, elected to Congress. NPR reports Democrat Rashida Talib in Michigan's 13th District in Mi- and Minnesota Democrat Ilhan Omar from the state's 5th District become the first Muslim women elected to Congress tonight. And uh, 29-year-old Democrat Alejandro Ocasio-Cortez became the youngest woman elected to Congress in New York's 14th District. There are some bright signs to report, aren't there, Ernesto? Yes, there are, definitely. There, while and we have know, heard a little bit ago we were talking about some kind of not great news, not that blue wave that was expected. Blue ripple. Yeah, the blue ripple, yeah, that might be a better way to describe it. There's definitely good news with, you know, two... Uh, Muslim uh, women, uh, one of them Palestinian-American, another one a refugee. Um, you know, we've got, uh, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in um, in New York. Two native women. Two native women. We have, you know, the first openly gay governor. We have a lot of victories, um, while at the same time, you know, understanding that there are challenges that we'll, uh, that, that we'll be facing in the Senate. Um, so now... As we uh, uh, go forward with this uh, blue ripple, although Congress may still turn with an even greater turnout than was first uh, estimated, as many as 35 seats may be won by Democrats, a shift of 35 seats, uh, which would give the Democrats a solid majority, although I don't think Democrats have any history of voting in any kind of uh, solidarity. Maybe they'll be frightened by uh, uh, the president, but uh, certainly none of the blocks like the Freedom Caucus and some of those uh, tiny caucuses dictating to the Republican majority. Uh, but in any case, uh, we do see some uh, positive signs. And also here in Southern California, there are many House seats that are up for grabs, and many of them will be, um, uh, you know, will be uh, turning from uh, from Republican to Democrat. Uh, you know, a couple seats in San Diego, uh, several seats in the Inland Empire and North Orange County, where I live, and um, you know, there, there's still a lot to to look forward to, at least you know, here in California. And um, it appears that uh, you know the, the Guardian of UK has a the Dems up 21 in the House. But Daily Cause has them up 24, which would put them one uh, seat uh, above where they need to to actually have a majority in the House of Representatives. So, you know, there there is some good news. That dinosaur that was a immovable uh, rock, Dana Rohrbacher, might be in trouble out there in Southern California. He's in big trouble. Dana Rohrbacher is definitely in trouble. Um, you know, he's one of those... Uh, you know, GOP stalwarts who, uh, you know, came out in favor of, of Trump, 
even though he knew not he, not all of his base was was a, a Trump supporter. But uh, when Trump did come to Southern California and one of the the coastal cities, he did hold fundraisers for him. You know, he attended rallies uh, for for Trump, and uh, it looks like you know that might have cost him his his seat in the House. So. It should be interesting to see um, Nancy Pelosi. You know, we were talking about Nancy quite a bit earlier in the in the cast, and Nancy Pelosi has uh, declared victory, um, according to uh, one of our sources, and um, it looks quite likely now that the Democrats will take the House of Representatives. We join now also uh, uh, Mustafa Ali and um, Ernesto Arce by David Schwartzman. He's the D.C. Statehood Green Party candidate, and uh, he's joining us, State of the Green Party in the District of Columbia, uh, which is a, an amalgam of the Greens uh, we know well and the District of Columbia's Statehood Party. But you didn't fare so well on the ballots this year. Once again, David Schwarzman. Yes. Uh, should I talk about what happened today in D.C. or not? Well, uh, <laughs> talking about third, the future of third party oh, politics. Yes, yes. I'm uh, I'm actually quite um, uh, optimistic because I think we're close to a tipping point where uh, the perceptions of voters are shifting to really more radical positions. More, when I say radical, I mean going to the root of the problem. And I think, uh, of course, Bernie Sanders uh, made the word socialism. Uh, Kosher, so to speak, uh, should I say, uh, more acceptable, certainly among Hello. the youth. <laughs> certainly among the youth. Uh, and, you know, I joined, personally, I joined the Democratic Social of America in December 2016. And I found, uh, I always thought the group was too moderate for me, actually. <laughs> and, I, uh, and I was very pleasantly surprised to see it grow pretty exponentially. Now there are over 50,000 members, and roughly, I think, about 1,500 in the metro D.C. area. They're very active in many areas. Now, there are two kind of routes that are being taken in terms of really progressive politics uh, from the left. One is to work in the Democratic Party, and there are many examples of uh, I think, very good candidates that are even getting elected. Uh, that's one route. I call that the inside route. I chose to pursue the outside route in trying to build the Green Party and locally the state of Green Party. And I think we have a bright future in uh, D.C. because of our D.C. fair elections law that will be implemented in 2020. So if uh, one of our, we never accepted corporate money, and neither does the Green Party nationally. But if um, if a, one of our candidates runs, let's say, at large and gets, uh, as I recall, something like twelve thousand dollars from individual contributions that are no more than one hundred dollars, and no corporate donations, and there's a certain number, I think over a hundred. Individual, they get five to one matching funds from DC, and that would put can, uh, candidates on a much more competitive position to uh, to actually send out mailings. That's really key. Those are expensive. But nationally, yes, Greens 
I mean, there are not two dozen Green Party elected officials in the entire nation. That's true. And I think what's happened is, at least temporarily, the effort from, uh, let's say, the very progressive forces in the country have been the inside strategy. But I think there will be a convergence in the future, and not distant future, between the two efforts, because I think both empower each other. Uh, to have to build a force outside, it's not only the Green Party, they're also in the socialists like Shama Sawant, who got elected in uh, Seattle and re-elected as a socialist. And there are a few other examples where um, that's another route which is outside the Democratic Party. And I think the there's a synergy between the two because uh, as when you challenge the Democratic Party from outside, I think it helps to empower the more progressive elements in the Democratic Party. But nothing teaches like experience. So I don't believe, let, let me just say, I don't believe that the inside strategy will result in a takeover of the really what I call the corporate uh, neoliberal Democratic Party, the, the dominant faction. I don't believe it, but nothing, I may be wrong, nothing teaches like experience. So that's why I'm an optimist. <laughs> maybe <laughs> foolishly. <laughs> maybe maybe we're all a little bit foolish when it comes to our optimism. But David, I, I'm fascinated by this conversation because um, I, I think it's very brave and courageous of you to have uh, chosen that outside path and and um, you know try to strengthen a third party. You know, a lot of us are. Uh, under the impression that in a democracy, you know, we should be able to vote for who it is we want. We should be able to, um, you know, create a new party if uh, the current party structure doesn't support our ideals and our policies. But uh, it seems that election after election, people are discouraged from voting third party or, you know, even worse, you know, hey, if you voted for Jill Stein, it was like you're voting for uh, a Donald Trump. And so... My question to you is, uh, I'm, I'm a beat reporter here in, in Los Angeles. I work for KPFK Pacifica Radio, and um, I covered many California Democratic Party events and, and um, conferences and uh, strategy sessions, and I was always surprised to see how many progressive caucuses there are within the Democratic Party, specifically the California Democratic Party, because that is... Uh, the group that I was covering or reporting on, um, did you did you feel like this wasn't enough when you decided to take that outside course, m- meaning the the progressive caucus of the Democratic Party just wasn't uh, progressive enough, or did you not think they had enough um, enough power and influence over their their colleagues? Well, in terms of my own history, in terms of uh, Green Party activity, uh, it really began. Uh, with Nader running for president. Yes. And uh, that, uh, that drew in a really some momentum. And then he became unjustly, in my view, blamed for a Bush getting in. Mm-hmm. I think we could, that, there's a long debate about that. But I, am, I do not accept the argument that Nader is responsible for Bush. Uh, Similarly, some of the mainstream Democrats are making the same claim about Jill Stein, which I think is really ludicrous, because we know that uh, Trump's election occurred 
because of a white supremacist electoral college and voter suppression, which continues now. I wouldn't. I. I would. I. I would guess that this played a role in the results that are now ongoing in Florida and in Georgia. We know there was voter suppression in Georgia. Uh, we we have to see it as study. But getting back to your question, uh, I put my um, uh, my uh, efforts into the Green Party because the central message is not only peace but economic justice and a Green New Deal, the idea of a Green New Deal being a path out of the economic and environmental crisis that we face. So, David Schwartzman. Thank you. Fear this time. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank David you, Schwartzman is a D.C. statehood Green Party candidate, uh, not elected in the District of Columbia this cycle, but we're grateful that you were able to come in and be with us uh, here on uh, our Pacific Radio national coverage of on midterm elections 2018. Thank you. Okay. We'll be right back. Folks are laying down their arms, children and lovers wait with open arms no more alarms the creatures of the world are free clean are the waters and the air we breathe it's not make-believe things can change to they could be better And uh, we're back, joined now also by Katia Stitt, Interim Program Director at WPFW. Uh, Ernesto Arce is uh, still remaining with us as we uh, listen in, as we go forward to some of the field reporting that we have been compiling for this special day. That song, Let America, that song was the Green Party theme song that we just heard. Now we're going to hear the great poet Nikki Giovanni reading from the immortal poet Langston Hughes his famous poem, Let America Be America Again. I'm Nikki Giovanni. 
65 years ago, speaking of the role of African-American soldiers, speaking of the role African-American soldiers were playing in World War II, Langston Hughes declared, we know that America is a land of transition, and we know it is within our power to help it find further change toward finer and better democracy than any citizen has known before. The American Negro believes in democracy. We want to make it real, complete, workable, not only for ourselves, the 15 million dark ones, but for all Americans all over the land. At the time he gave that speech, Hughes was under surveillance by the FBI for his leftist political views. Not long after, Life magazine called Hughes, Paul Robeson, and Albert Einstein, quote, dupes and fellow travelers, end of quote. In the 1950s, he was subpoenaed to appear before the House Un-American Activities Committee, and the FBI listed him, Langston Hughes, as a security risk. Hughes's poem, Let America Be America Again, was published in Esquire, and in, and in the International Worker Order pamphlet, A New Song, in 1938. Those who monitored his movement and his words often cited it as a justification for their surveillance. It reads a little differently this week. <laughs> Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer on the plain, seeking a home where he himself is free. America was never America to me. Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be the great, strong land of love, where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme that any man may be crushed by one above. It was never America to me. Oh, let my land be the land where liberty is crowned with false patriotic wreath, with no false patriotic wreath, but opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is in the air we breathe, we breathe. There has never been equality for me, nor freedom in this land, homeland of the free. So, who are you that mumbles in the dark? And who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I am the poor white, fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing slavery scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of dog eat dog, of mighty crush the weak. I am the young man full of hope and strength, tangled in the ancient endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways of satisfying need, of work the men, of take the pay, of owning everything for only one's own greed. I am the farmer, bondsman to the soil. I am the worker sold to the machine. I am the Negro servant to you all. I am the people hung humble, hungry, mean, hungry, yet today, despite the dream, beaten, yet today, oh pioneers. I am the man who never got ahead, the poorest worker battered through the years, Yet, I'm the one who dreamt our basic dream in the old world while still the surf of kings, who dreamt a dream so strong, so brave, so true, that even its mighty daring sing in every brick and stone and every furrow turned that's made America the land it has become. 
Oh, I'm the man who sailed those early seas in search of what I meant to be my home. For I'm the one who left dark Ireland's shore and Poland's plain and England's grassy lee. And torn from black Africa's strand, I came to build a homeland of the free. The free? Who said the free? Not me. Surely not me. The millions on relief today, the millions shot down when on strike, the millions who have nothing for our pay, for all the dreams we've dreamed and all the songs we've sung, and all the hopes we've held and all the flags we've hung. The millions who have nothing for our pay, except the dream that's almost dead today. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet, and yet must be, the land where every man is free, the land that's mine, the poor man's, Indians, Negro, me, who made America, whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain, must bring back our mighty dream again. Sure, call me an old ugly name, any old ugly name you choose. The steel of freedom does not stain for those who like who live like leeches on other people's lives, we must take our, back our land again, America. Oh, yes, say it plain. America never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath, America will be. Out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies, we, the people, must redeem the land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains and the selfish plain and all the stretches these great green states and make America, America again. Nikki Giovanni and uh, what a great theme, what a great poem Langston Hughes composed and someone here at uh, Pacifica Radio had the wisdom, the forbearance, the good sense to help have, choose that as part of our theme tonight. Let America be America again. Reimagining the American dream. Katia. Wow, Eski, I've heard so much. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I've heard so much tonight, and, uh, you know, it, it, some of it sad, some of it, all of it brilliant, um, some of it really quiet and profound, some of it funny, but, you know, that is the tapestry of America. Um, what I'm thankful to say tonight, I didn't hear, um, you know, it was, a, it was, it was folks, some political theorists, other a activists, some educators, but folks really coming together in a way that I think Lou Hill would have wanted us to when he dreamed of the uh, Pacifica Foundation. You know, he was probably listening to Langston and thinking that this is possible, another world is possible, and uh, media that is responsive and media that um, takes up the mantle, the mantle of uh, freedom and justice can make a difference. And so I think that is the thing that I came away with, even as we had our blue, you all called it a, a wave, maybe it's, it was a ripple. Yeah, ripple. <laughs> well, doesn't Nikki Giovanni have a poem called like a, a, a like a ripple on a pond? Yes, she does, right? So we saw our, our blue ripple on a pond. Um, but I think there's a lot of hope in the air for what comes next. And as I heard you say, 
you know, we all go to the polls today. We do what we, we're supposed to do or what we think we should do or we stand on the shoulders of ancestors and we, um, we, we do it with great vigor and fervor. But tomorrow is the test. Tomorrow, how are we going to push the envelope forward, no matter who is in Congress, you know, no matter who is on Pennsylvania Avenue? What are we, the people, going to do? And that's what we heard tonight, what we, the people, are going to do. Ernesto, you are in California, and I, I, when I was there, the Peace and Freedom Party was born. Yes. And, uh, so uh, there's so many, so uh, California was important, and, and presidential elections used to wait, uh, had to wait until the California outcome was known. The 50-some-odd electoral votes could sway the election. And then recently, California seemed to have fallen out of the the uh, picture, the uh, national electoral picture, so that things were decided even before California vote California votes had been counted. Uh, yeah. Now, now uh, are we seeing a rebirth of the importance of California as we still wait to see what happens in some of the congressional races there in the Golden State? In the electoral vein, I, I think so, and I hope so, because for so long, uh, California voting, especially in the national picture, was so after the fact. You know, it was just like, oh, well, by the time our polls close, they'll already have uh, uh, declared a winner of, of whatever, you know, of the national election. So, you know, we'll already know who's going to be president. We'll already know. And um, I think it served as a, it discouraged a lot of people. Uh, another thing was during the, the last couple of elections, there was always this like vote swap, like, hey, if you live in a battleground state, well, you can switch your uh, uh, third party vote for Jill Stein or whatever other independent um, voter for a um, for a Democrat to vote uh, just to ensure that you get to vote your conscience while if you're living in a battleground state, you're still voting for the Democrat who's uh, in a very tight race against uh, against the Republican. And so did that make a difference? Did that result in any victories? Well, I, you know, I, I don't I don't think so. But, um, you know, still again, a good idea. You know, yeah, we just, you know, spoke to, um, what was it Harvey Wasserman uh, that had mentioned, hey, you know, uh, there, or, or rather um, it was uh, David, I think, the, the guy from uh, the Green Party who David said, Schwarzman, yes. yeah, um, who said, hey, you know, we're constantly demonized for, for being part of a third party. Just, be, just voting for a third party makes you kind of outside of the acceptable parameters of, of political debate in this country. And that's really an unfortunate thing, but... Um, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that uh, California um, and California voters in general can feel like they're making an impact every time they vote, that their vote counts. And, if, and uh, again, we've heard from guest after guest who has mentioned uh, very accurately that, hey, you know, every every vote counts. Um, voting is not the the end all with all of of democracy, but it uh, it can't be dismissed or fetishized. You know, it's not nothing. It's the um, it's not the essence of democracy or activism, but it is um, part of it. It's it's part of our obligation, our responsibility as citizens of this country to um, to vote and to uh, you know make our voices heard. And uh, as as um, as Katya was saying right now. You know, the most important thing maybe is tomorrow, regardless of who's in Congress, regardless of who won the House, regardless of who's running the Senate, 
the important thing is to hold these people in positions of power accountable for their actions, accountable for their votes, and most importantly, accountable to, uh, you, you know, um, making sure that the, the corporations that sometimes lobby and run these, these lawmakers to make sure that they know that it's uh, us, the citizenry, us, the, the, the residents of this country that, uh, that are really their, their masters, not the corporations, not, you know, the lobbyists, not the special interests. And, um, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, California is back in that picture. Um, the, every Californian, the average Californian understands that, hey, their vote matters and, and you know, we, we've got to increase our voter turnout. I mean, we're talking 22 percent and people were, you know, the, the, the mainstream media, the network uh, news outlets were very impressed with our 22 percent uh, turnout last election. And it's just not acceptable. Necessary, but not sufficient. Absolutely. Is the expression I've, I, I'd like to use in these instances. Yes, okay, it's a tool, but it's not the only tool, and it's, uh, it's important, something that has to be done, but it's not all that needs to be done. Exactly. It would be nice to get us above 50% for once, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's part of what makes a democracy work, but it's not everything. Well, you know, Ernesto, I totally agree with you, and it is not everything. And um, as we think back on this night, and I know for you all, I feel like it's just beginning. You, uh, we have to say you've been a trooper, because I Thank think you, you have a few more hours. <laughs> yeah, we're on the air here locally from 10 until midnight. Yes. And we hope all the KPFK listeners tuning in right now stick with us for the next couple of hours of listener phone calls and as we go over some of the election results. Yes, and I'm sure they will. And as we uh, think back over the night, you know, we want to move to an audio essay by one of our affiliates, Pacifica's affiliates. Um, this is an audio essay from Maine where a ballot initiative broadening access to home health care was voted down today after significant opposition from the hospital lobby. And this is offered to the airwaves from WERU West Orland, Maine. Let's take a listen. You might think Florida drives all the retirees, but Maine is actually, demographically speaking, the oldest state in the country. And today, Mainers are voting on a ballot question that aims to set up a system for providing services for elders and people with disabilities so they can remain in their homes. The Universal Home Care Program would be funded by a tax on those with income above the amount that's subject to the Social Security tax in 2018. That was $128,400. Anyone needing assistance with at least one activity of daily living, things like toileting or eating or dressing oneself, would qualify regardless of income. Opponents of Question 1 have placed campaign signs on the roadsides across the state reading, Stop the Scam, Vote No on Question 1. Jeff Austin, Vice President of the Maine Hospital Association, a member of a coalition of health care and business groups that oppose the universal home care proposal, defends the use of the word scam. It is pretty strong language, uh, particularly for our groups and for referendums in Maine. But we believe there are some pretty distasteful things going on. On the website of the proponents, simultaneously, they said that the tax would only apply to individuals and yet said it would raise $300 million. That's telling the public that the benefit is huge, $300 million, but the, the people paying the tax are relatively small. Those two things cannot simultaneously be true and they know it and that's why one reason why we think it's a scam 
What Austin is saying, and many others agree with him, is that if the tax that would fund the program applied only to individuals earning more than $128,400 a year, it wouldn't raise as much money as those promoting the plan claim it would. They also say that this would make Maine's tax rate so high that it would drive away professionals and make it difficult to recruit people to come to the state. Opponents also don't like the way the program would be structured, which would include a governing board elected and overseen by program consumers and providers rather than the legislature, a point that many see as a positive. Another element of the plan would make home support workers eligible to unionize in hopes that better working conditions would address high turnover rates, but opponents say workers would be forced to join a union, while supporters of Question 1 argue that that is not the case. So while there will almost definitely be some details to work out if Question 1 passes, Mike Tipping of Yes on 1 says the concerns have been overblown as scare tactics and the state needs to do something to address a crisis. Question one at its core is about a crisis that we're facing as a state. We are the oldest state in the country and we're getting older. And right now, too many families are facing impossible choices trying to keep their loved ones at home. And too many seniors and veterans and people with disabilities are being forced from their homes when they don't have to be and when they don't want to be. So question one is a guarantee that if you need help staying at home, you can get it. A recent talk show caller also took issue with the use of the word scam by opponents of Question 1. I'm driving down the roads and recently and see this sign that says, Stop the scam. And I, I don't know what scam. So I found out it was about Question 1. So I studied the situation. And I just want to point out that I discovered that there is no scam. There's an attempt to solve, deal with a crisis I belong to an organization called the Waldo County Triad that deals with scams that are perpetrated on the elderly. And that, those are scams, you know, and they're, they're abundant. This is not a scam. Efforts to pass universal home care in Maine have drawn support from out of state, including some funding from George Soros and a promotional video by Seth Rogen and his wife. Opponents are campaigning on this being a negative, but Mike Tipping of Mainers for Home Care says the program has widespread support, at least in part because it could provide a model for other states. Well, we've been so proud to see people across the country take interest in this and realize that Maine is doing something pretty cool here, that we have, as the oldest state in the country, you know, an opportunity to make sure that that is not a burden, that that is something that we embrace and that we um, you know, engage with in a positive way, and that can be a lesson for states across the country that are facing similar demographic changes, maybe not quite as fast as ours. We have this uh, problem that we're facing that other people are going to be facing soon, and I think it's important and it's um, laudatory that we are leading on that, making sure that people stay in their homes, seniors, veterans, people with disabilities. It's something we can do here and that can spread across the country. Reporting on question one on Maine's ballot today, this is Amy Brown at WERU-FM in East Orland, Maine. And we're back. Uh, it's uh, counting down. Uh, no, nothing new for us to report here yet as reporting goes, but uh, there's much to be talked about, it seems. Katia, Ernesto. Definitely a lot to be talked about. Um, Republicans poised to take 54 to 55 seats in the Senate. 
And, um, you know, specifically the governor's race in Wisconsin may come down to about 300 votes in favor of Democrat Tony Evers over Republican Scott Walker with 90 percent of precincts in. Uh, Mississippi has two Senate seats up for grabs this cycle. One will go to a Republican, Roger Wicker, who carried a 19 percent margin. The special election seat will go into a runoff between Republican Hyde Smith and Democrat Mike Epsey. Um, You know, we're following a few other uh, national Contests, as well as a, a lot of local contests that we'll, we'll be uh, looking into. Uh, Diane Feinstein uh, was declared the victor over Kevin DeLeon uh, for the uh, for the governorship of California, and it, which pitted two Democrats against each other. One, uh, the blue dog Democrat, if you will, against Kevin DeLeon, who came out strongly. Um, come, he hails from San Diego's immigrant community, and he came out very strongly uh, for immigrant rights. And uh, he came up short tonight in his bid to unseat uh, the very, well, uh, you know, Dianne Feinstein, who's a, uh, um, you know, very powerful member of the Democratic Party. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there, there will be a whole lot more to talk about. Um, I know you guys are wrapping up your, your night. It's almost one in the morning over where you're at in the East Coast. And it's, um, you know, as we just mentioned, it's our night is just beginning here in, in Los Angeles. <laughs> Well, Man, you, that's painful to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Ernesto, I will say, I was sitting here thinking, and when you mentioned De Leon, and you look at all of the, you know, Mike Espy, um, of course, Stacey Abram. I mean, you look in, of course, Gillum. I was really saddened when he conceded. But sure. what it did, didn't it energize us all to see all of these um, either younger or yes. candidates, like you talk about De Leon coming from an immigrant community, all these new names coming to the fore to yes. really show us that maybe this, this, what we think of as America can really be reimagined and be greater than it ever was. And, you know, it didn't happen quite that way this time, but, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, it, it might be there when our children are grown, our grandchildren are grown. We might have a different, a different, um, we might have a different society here. Ski is looking like a naysayer right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking like, uh, you know, you, it's, it's like, uh, okay, I, I hurry can't up and see wait. you too far away. Right. <laughs> it's like, hurry up and wait once again. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about a speech that I heard uh, or an interview that I heard with uh, Malcolm X. Was it on KPFK? Or was it on WBA? It must have been WBAI, in which he was talking about school integration in 1961, seven years after uh, Brown versus Board. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the schools, seven years after Brown v. Board, schools were about uh, what one, four, five, six percent integrated or, or desegregated. And he said, at that rate, it would take us another 100 years. To achieve full school integration, sure, and that was 60 years ago when he yeah, said that. Yeah. And it's like now the school desegregation rate is about eight percent. It's about the same, yeah. which means we still got 100 years to go. So, in in response to why I'm looking uh, a little <laughs> bit uh, skeptical, Katia, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, all right. I think some of the progress that we are cheering is just because, you know. We, 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 we want to be optimistic. We want the, the to... The silver lining, right? Right. We, well, we, if I can offer a rebuttal, um, the, there's a huge social movement in Mexico, um, and it's the um, 
uh, where are the 43, uh, 43 mm-hmm. students who yes. uh, were disappeared, mm. uh, some say l- uh, likely killed by either drug cartels, maybe the Mexican government. What they're, what they're demanding is you need to, um, you know, they were taken with life. You need to return them alive and well. And um, one of their slogans is they thought that we were dead, but really what we are are seeds. Mm. And I think that in today's election, um, we, you know, it might not have been a huge victory for progressive forces across the country. But I think we've planted the seeds, as we saw with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mm-hmm. as we saw with, you know, the two um, Muslim women in the north, as we saw with, uh, you know, the, the first two Native American women. Um, th- th- these are these are seeds for the future. Absolutely. And I think, Eskia, um, I, I yesterday, you know, you gave a talk on Baldwin. And didn't he mention being an optimist? Yes, he did. He mm-hmm. said, I'm alive. I'm an optimist. Right. And so we're alive. And we can be optimistic. Um, I think in some cases it's, you know, the optimism, it, it masks our, we, we, we don't want to walk away. We don't want to turn our backs on the only country we've known and the only uh, really a system and people that we've known to say we just can't take it anymore. Uh, so we're looking for the silver lining. Well, I'd like to, uh, gentlemen, if you allow me, since we are looking for the silver lining, if anything is that, it is our children. And um, we have another youth poet offered to us by uh, Pacifica Sister Station WBAI, and her name is Serena Yang. In 2020, I will not vote. Serena Yang, who attends Queens College, is with Urban Word NYC. I will be 18 years old and waiting to be naturalized. To naturalize, as if to return to nature, as if to plant, to water, to turn my face to the sun and wait. To sit in an immigration office downtown waiting for someone to sign and stamp a paper that tells me I am what I already know I am. In 2020, I will assure this country that I know when it was born and when it was born again. I will swear to carry it between my hip bones and give birth on a Tuesday in a school gym at eight in the morning before work. We, the people, swear to reiterate this country until we have gotten everything we were promised, until those who are silent in their waiting are heard. Our children, our immigrants, are imprisoned. In 2020, I will not vote, but you must. You must turn your face to the sun and swallow it. Grow this country inside your body and spit it back out better. Plant a seed and water the tree and vote like you've got an ax in your hand and you're chopping wood for asylum. If voting is hammer and nails, then we must build this home together. This is listener-sponsored WBAI New York. Do we, do we, Do we have Donald Temple available? I, I have to say, concerning uh, Mike Espy, uh, being a native of Mississippi, uh, I was uh, proud when Mike Espy was first elected to Congress. After a candidate, a black candidate, ran in his district uh, three times and was defeated when Mike Espy ran, people 
It was a rainy day on election day. People waited in line for hours and hours just to vote for him because he was a change. He was different. He was someone that the, the black voters trusted and believed in. I have to say on a personal note, I always consider my hometown Indianola, Mississippi, uh, and it is. But on my birth certificate, it says Yazoo City. And I was down there, which is where uh, Mike Espy's home was. And when I was down there, I discovered that uh, Mike Espy, who's now in a runoff for the Senate uh, seat uh, in Mississippi, former congressman, former agriculture secretary under uh, President Clinton, that the hospital in which I was born in Yazoo City, uh, I guess I was a pretty bourgeois family. The hospital in which I was born was founded by Mike Espy's father, uh, his grandfather, in Yazoo City, Mississippi, a black hospital back in Yes. The, yes, so uh, I have a dear fondness for Mike Espy, aside mm -hmm. from the fact that he was a, a, a courageous Congress member, that he was a good guy. He was from my hometown. But I was born in the hospital founded by his grandfather. So Donald Temple... Uh, I know you were hugging up with. <laughs> well, I think he's uh, a Mike, classmate. Mike Espy, <laughs> you all were classmates at HU, uh, <laughs> from what I understand. Um, uh, so, how's his spirits? What's 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 he looking at going forward as he uh, looks forward to a runoff? Well, well first of all, greetings, Oscar. Thank you for being with us, by the way. No, thank you. And our and we're joined by just so you know, Donald. We're joined by our. Uh, compadre over in uh, California, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, KPFK, Ernesto, Ernesto Arce. Arce. Yes, here he is. Hey, hey, here uh, I am. How are you? Yeah. I'm good, I, I'm I good, thank you. Down. So come on with it, Donald. Mike, Mike and I, uh, we attended Howard University, uh, and we were both in student government there, and we went on, both of us, to Santa Clara School of Law in Northern California, where we were roommates and student government leaders as well, but I came down, I was with Mike in 1986 uh, when he won his congressional seat, and I came down, he's elated, uh, and, and the progressive thinking people of Mississippi are also elated. Mississippi is a difficult state historically and contemporary, and, and presently, for, for many people, and it's always usually the, the last state in a number of categories, including education, economic, economic opportunity, et cetera. But this, is a, a, this election today was sort of a perfect storm uh, for uh, the black elected community, and Mike ran straight up the middle and uh, was able, uh, we, we didn't see the final numbers uh, when I left downstairs after Mike had spoken, but they were uh, hovering somewhere between 40 and 45 percent, and I understand that um, he's still in that range. I don't know. I'll see if you have better numbers. So now there's a uh, runoff schedule for November 27th, and yes. uh, what are his prospects? How does he feel about uh, the chance of prevailing in a head-to-head -head race, even though the state is at least officially 40 percent black? Uh, it just seems so bewildering why a black person cannot win a statewide office in the, state, the Magnolia State. Well, it's about numbers on one end, but it's bigger than numbers. 
this date and the way that people think it, and you have to see it. I mean, uh, bravo to the black community for coming out in huge numbers. I mean, huge numbers and strong numbers, but Mike needs 50%, and now it's Mike versus uh, a 100% Trump supporter, Diddy uh, Highsmith, and um, it's going to be formal. So Mike is going to have that race on November the 27th. People got to come out again. A lot of money has to go into the race. Uh, he can win. He has momentum. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen highly motivated voters, people who want change. His opponent is Cindy uh, Highsmith. Is she said that she will 100% support Donald Trump. So it's going to be a a civil a political civil war here, and all eyes are going to be on Mississippi. But Mike has the base and has the opportunity. And with a structured campaign focus, Mike could upset Cindy Highsmith on November 27th. What will it take? Beside the, beside the money, what I mean, what will it take? Are you, you are there just no white people who will vote for a black candidate? Is is is, is it all just about race in the state of Mississippi? No, not I would hope not. I see it, but you know, you're from Mississippi. And with all due respect to, to the whole racial dynamic, the, the the notion of race is 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 in the 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 marrow of people's bones. I had the opportunity to go to a, a poll here today and, and to observe voters, uh, white voters vote, and it's it's not just uh, Mississippi, but uh, we see it in Florida and Georgia as well. People actually vote. They will not. People have told the, the Democratic Party uh, operatives uh, that work campus, I will not vote for a black candidate. Mm. Simple as that. Period. Mm. You know, and so. And this is are, 2018. Let me just be clear. It's 2018. Uh, 2018, it gets worse. But there are uh, white voters, and Mike did get some white votes today, and I don't know the exact number, but there are white votes voters who will vote for Mike. In this particular situation, I don't have the, the math of what he needs, but uh, there are many, actually. Uh, there are probably thousands and thousands of white voters. When it comes to Cindy Highsmith versus Mike, it's going to be very interesting to see how he how he built that base to get the difference out here. But i got to tell you, uh, he has the momentum, he has the credibility, he has the experience, the qualifications and all that to uh, to justify uh, having to earn anybody's vote. But there are some people, this is a very, 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 very racial, the uh, biased uh, hmm. uh, voter, voter pool. Yeah, yeah. Well, you all, all you have to say is uh, uh, Emmett Till... Uh, Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, uh, Medgar Evers, and mm-hmm. on and on. Chuck, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, that was killed before. Uh, the, the first one of those uh, killed. I mean, it, all you have to do is just start listing names, and that is enough to remind people as to why things are so divided and so corrosive on the racial question in Mississippi. 
Nina Simone had a song, Mississippi God D-A-M-N, right? In Mississippi goddamn right. Yeah, she did. She sure did. <laughs> and, and, you know, in neighboring Alabama, <clears throat> right? Where, where they are in 49th place on everything that Mississippi's in 50th place, yeah. uh, there's a motto that says, thank goodness for Mississippi. Uh, uh, I mean, that's the way they sort of look at themselves. Dizzy uh, Gillespie's, I'll never go back to Georgia. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, but, you know, I mean, that's true. But, the but whole South, that, man. That, thank goodness I'm in California. Which really, uh, as, as stigmatized as Mississippi is, uh, there are still it's the number one uh, state, the highest number of black elected officials. You know, and it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic because there's so many incredibly engaging activists and people who are involved and, and, and struggling. But at a certain point, it's like you can run so far. You can lift so much weight. You can push for so much so so far. The House, the Senate, the state, the, 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 the federal uh, House and Senate, U.S. Congress, and, and the governor are all controlled by very entrenched uh, right wing uh, Republicans and who are white and, and the race factor informs many of the things that are happening everything everything as, as, as they say Donald yeah. Temple we're so glad that you're able to be with us shed some light on on uh, what's going on right now in Mississippi the yes. race f for the US Senate two Senate seats were up today one of them was settled the uh, uh, wicker the incumbent was reelected to his seat, and Mike Espy is now in a runoff for the other seat, and that runoff election will be held on the 27th of this month. I have to yeah. say, uh, uh, with regard to, no, I won't say that, about uh, 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 my uh, home state, I'm just glad that you were able to be with us and uh, uh, shed some light on this subject for us. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gracious and Katia and thank you WPFW for having some, uh, giving it some uh, attention. I just say this is that all eyes on Mississippi, uh, November 27th, and it's a race of great national importance. And hopefully people from around the country will support uh, Mike and what he's doing. And Mike has a lot of courage at this point. Uh, as he engages Donald Trump, quite frankly, in a head-on uh, election challenge this month. Well, thank you so much, Donald. Thank you. There it is. Thank you, and be safe in Mississippi. And, um, gentlemen, the bewitching hour is almost upon us. Upon oh, us. No. It's, I know. I hate to leave, <laughs> but um, if I, if you would allow me to do the honors of the many, 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 many folks that made this possible. And, you know, um, Donald just invoked that uh, this is really instructive uh, to the nation, this election, possible election of Mike Espy. Um, this is, in fact, a broadcast that came out of WPFW and KPFK, but it is a national broadcast. And in that uh, light, we have so many folks to thank. We want to, first of all, start with our incredible affiliates program, and, um, of course, the manager, Ursula Rudenberg, Olivia Brinkmeyer. We want to thank, of course, our engineering staff. Uh, that would be John Omella on the national level, Mo Thomas, Jerry Paris, Otis McClay. 
We also want to thank Brian David at KPFA Satellite Operations. We want to uh, give a big shout-out to all of the participating affiliate stations, including KIYQ in Las Vegas, Planet Waves Radio in Kingston, New York, KMUN in Astoria, Oregon, K, oh, I'm sorry, Kaja Brown in Radio Phoenix in Phoenix, Arizona, WSLR in Sarasota, WRFN Nashville, WERU East Orland, Maine, Ibero Radio in Mexico City, WRFG in Atlanta, KGVM in Bozeman, Montana, WUMO, Birmingham, KHOI in Ames, KKFI in Kansas City, Missouri, WCRS in Columbus, Ohio, KMSW in San Antonio, and KB, KPVC in Charlottesville, Virginia. We also want to say a great thank you to all of our incredible guests, all of our incredible hosts, of course, starting with the esteemed Askia Muhammad, and of course, right up there with him, Ernesto Arce from KPFK. We want to thank Mustafa Ali, Verna Avery Brown, Julianne Malveaux, Greg Carr, Oscar Fernandez, Abby Roberts, Joel Siegel, our volunteers, Viraj Patel and Chris Garlock, our production staff, Chris Bangert-Drowns, Sue Goodwin, Robin Smith, Rob Sims, our field reporters, finally, of course, Greg Palace starting us off, Julia Hayward, Ben Max, Sofia Sepulveda, and um, I feel like I'm leaving someone out. I think if I, I can add a couple of names oh to yes, that, our oh yes. senior uh, producer over here on the Alan, Minsky. Alan Minsky. How can I? Oh, last but certainly not least, <laughs> K- and Michael Flores as well. Michael Flores, KPFK mm-hmm. news producer, and our engineers Mark Maxwell and Jonathan Alexander. Absolutely. What a show! What a production! <laughs> yes, thank you. Kudos to everybody. Applause, applause. Likewise, <laughs> thank you, brother Skia. <laughs> well, we are, it was our pleasure to bring it to you. We hope. You've enjoyed our coverage of the uh, 2018 midterm elections. May, may let America be America again. And we're going to keep reimagining that American dream. What do you say, gentlemen? Thank you. Excellent. Good night. Good night.
And you're in tune to WPFW Washington.